Welcome to the Pause to Remember podcast. My name is Amy Pelkey. I'm a practicing CRNA yoga teacher and mother to one son here on earth and one daughter who was stillborn. If you are a healthcare provider who has experienced pregnancy or infant loss, this podcast is for you. My goal is to offer resources, conversations, and mindfulness-based grief tools to help providers like you build the courage to acknowledge and process your emotions, the strength to carry your grief, and resilience so you can preserve your career, relationships, and overall well-being while honoring the memory of your baby. I want to assure you that you are not alone in your grief. I am thankful that you are here today. Let's begin. Hello, everyone. This is Amy Pelkey. Welcome to this episode of the Pause to Remember podcast. My guest today is Crystal Webster. She is the founder and chief solace officer over at sharingsolace.com. She's also the author of Confessions of a Griever, Turning a Hot Mess into a Hot Message, creator of the Circle of Life Pendant with Every Moment is Worthwhile Token, and much more. Crystal and her husband Kyle's parenting story began in May of 2010 when their daughter Madeline Elizabeth was born. Madeline lived for eight precious hours before passing. From there, the grieving journey began. Crystal is here today to share some of her experiences and how she is supporting other grieving parents after pregnancy and infant loss. Welcome, Crystal. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, You're welcome. We've talked before and every conversation we've had, you've given me something to think about or inspired me to share my story or something. So I just think that this conversation with that we're going to share with others will have an impact on many families um, moving forward. So thank you for taking the time to chat. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. So do you want to just kind of start with what life was like prior um, to Madeline's arrival and leading up to Madeline joining you and your husband? Yeah. Um, Life was normal. I'm I'm from the Midwest. It was, you know, I went to high school and graduated. I went to college and graduated. I got married. I bought a house, a picket fence, you know, the whole, that's what you do. And then you get old and you die. That's what you do here in the Midwest. Um, you don't really even, it's not really a choice. It is a choice, but it's, you know, you just kind of, well, I got through that step. Now here's the next one. And here's the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and we were a little different. We, we got married very young. I like to say I got married when I was 12. Not really. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've been married for 16 years. If I got married at 12, then I'm 28 kind of thing. Oh, love that. <laughs> so I got married at 12. Um, so I got married, you know, when I was supposed to, but we waited a little, we waited four or five years um, before we even thought about kids. Um, we always knew that it was in our future. We just weren't in a big hurry to get there, if that kind of makes sense. Um, and then, you know, uh, we, we caught baby rabies is what I call it. And it was like, okay, now it's time for kids. Let's go. Let's go. And everything was normal with Madeline. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit of a bigger girl, so I wasn't gaining a whole lot of weight, but I was also eating better. And so 
you know, the doctor's like, that's the only thing that's not normal, but you're not normal to begin with. So it's all good. And, um, yeah, uh, we were super excited to, you know, this was our first pregnancy and our first, we bought a house. Actually, the room that I'm sitting in right now was intended to be Madeline's nursery. And we bought the house, we, like we moved into the house and literally the next day we found out that Madeline wouldn't come home to it. And so, I mean, we kind of, we kind of bought this house for her, you know, we were looking and, and the family that we had intended to have. You know, we saw this as her room and we saw, you know, the backyard is where she was going to play and all of those things. But for a very long time, this room, the door got closed and was not opened for years and years. And just a couple of years ago, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start going in there. Or like, I kind of started by, I'm just going to open the door and look in and then close it and go cry in the corner. But now this is where my husband and I, we come in here and we read and we connect with Madeline and we do yoga and we meditate and it's just kind of a reflection room. You know, I'm, I'm very careful about the energy that comes into this room. Like I'm, I'm not going to come in here and have a business, like a real business discussion. I'm not going to come in here and do accounting work. Right. It's going to, I'm going to sit I'm going to contemplate, I'm going to meditate and reflect on things. Um, and I, I think that that's kind of a good use for this room now. You know, I would have loved for it to be a nursery. I would have loved to not have the space to have this room. Um, but I think we've, we've done as much justice to it as we can. And there are little pieces of Madeline everywhere. Um, we were going to decorate the nursery Dr. Seuss because I'm a big Dr. Seuss lover. Um, and so, I, I mean, everything that I was going to decorate her nursery with, I already had, to be perfectly honest. So I just decided, you know, it's time to get those things out of the boxes and hang them up. And so that's kind of, this room has become a Dr. Seuss reflection sanctuary, as convoluted as that sounds, but it just... I feel like it fits her, the personality I thought she would have and the energy I want to, I wanted to bring to this room. So, and that was completely not your question, was it? I just got, kind of got going. Okay. I mean, I think that that is just a part of these conversations. It's like grieving. You never know which direction your grieving is going to go. And you never know which question is going to trigger a thought or a memory or a, a goal that you had or whatnot. So, and I think that it's really good for people who are in the midst of grieving, um, that intense grieving that you have right after a loss to hear that from you that, yeah, it, it took me a long time to even open the door to what we were going to call the nursery and that's okay. So honestly, I I'm really glad that you shared that with us and it feels like a really special part of your home and to have you share that just seems really special in this moment. So thank you. Oh yeah. Thank you. So. I mean, in looking at it, it wouldn't, you know, I mean, there's no real, there's this chair, this is the only furniture in this room. Mm -hmm. um, so from the outside, it looks like 
a room of that has like two or three pictures on the wall and just junk everywhere but it it means so much to me and i think a lot of people don't realize that it doesn't have to be beautiful for it to be precious to you and, and that's kind of how i live my life you know my my life is just kind of a hot mess anyway so why not reflect that in this room well so you say hot mess but you've taken what you call your hot mess and turned it into this hot message and that being a big part of your book and taking the stages of grieving and breaking it down and what it looked like in your life and being able to break the heaviness up with a little humor and a little dose of reality. And that, yes, sometimes in life, things are not what we planned. You had planned to bring Madeline home to this beautiful home you've just purchased, you know, and that didn't end up being the story. And life is messy. At the end of the day, it's messy. So do you want to talk a little bit about Madeline? Because part of Pause to Remember is honoring babies and their life. And even though they may not have physically been with us on earth for an extended period of time, their lives impact us for years and honestly in some ways generations to come yeah yeah i mean when you lose a pregnancy or an infant or a small child you're not only losing them you're losing the future your future with them in a lot of ways you know the second i found out i was pregnant i was you know planning halloween costumes and thinking, okay, what, when's the appropriate age to take them to universal and, you know, what, what's the first book we're going to read, you know, just things like that, that you, you have an expectation of the future. And when that doesn't come to fruition, you have to grieve that as well. Absolutely. And I'm not saying you don't grieve the future you would have with your 97 year old grandma who passes. It's just very different. And, and you'll hear me say it a thousand times. Grief is grief. It can't be compared and it's all relative. Mm -hmm. And also I can compare my griefs, you know, like I can compare the loss of Madeline to the loss of my aunt and uncle, but I don't get to compare the loss of Madeline to the loss of Anna, you know? Right. Um, for either. That's not fair for either of us. Right. And I also say at the end of the day, there is no loss greater than your own. Your, your loss is your reality. And there is no way of even being able to comprehend a loss greater than that. Your grief is the worst grief. The worst possible grief you can go through is the grief that you're going through right now. Absolutely. And I don't care if that's because your baby died or your dog ran away or you lost your job or you stubbed your toe. That's the worst thing you're going to experience Yes. right now. Yes. And I think also too, with grief, if you don't slow down to process it, it will keep rearing its head and over and over. I say what you resist persists. So numbing it, pushing it away, distracting yourself. 
I think prolongs that grieving journey as well. I think, yes, I absolutely 100% agree with that. And also I think there need to be some times that you kind of say, I'm not going to focus on that right now through mm-hmm. your grieving process. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my, my husband and I, we, we got engaged and then went back a year later and got married in Las Vegas, as crazy as that sounds. But Las Vegas is like our happy place. Mm-hmm. And even just a couple months after Madeline died, uh, she died in May of 2010. And I think we decided, and normally we go to Vegas in June, every June, we go to Vegas. And that June, it didn't happen for, you know, kind of obvious reasons. Obvious reasons. <laughs> um, but I think we went in like September or October because it was just, we're like, okay, we're going and we're going to put our, our real life on pause because Vegas to me is make-believe world. It's Disneyland for adults anyway. Um, we're going to put our real life on pause and we're not going to, you know, we're going to try not to get all up in our head. We're just going to go and have a good time. And then when we come back, the second we get on that plane, we can come back to real world, but we need three or four days in La La Land. Mm -hmm. And that was, that's exactly what my soul needed. Mm -hmm. It needed the ability and the permission to be a little bit more lighthearted mm-hmm. and realize that there can still be joy in the sadness. And, and it was, it was very powerful to be like, okay, real life is on hold mm-hmm. for, you know, 48, 72 hours. I'll come back to real world. I know that La La Land is not real world, but I need to be, I need this. For myself and my soul and my marriage and my husband, we need this. Yes, because grieving is a real strain on a marriage. You even talked about in your book about going and getting divorce papers drawn up. And I just was like, oh my goodness. Wow, that, that's pretty drastic. What was that experience like for you? When Madeline died, it had nothing to do with my husband. Uh, my right. He's freaking like... He's a saint. And I should have prefaced that you made that very clear in the book that it was not, it had nothing to do with Kyle. It was where you were at in your grief and what you were trying to process and that you felt like you weren't bringing to the marriage um, what you had discussed or planned. And you you were feeling really badly about that. And you wanted to give him the opportunity to have an out if this wasn't the life that he wanted because you loved him so much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I had so much guilt around Madeline's death. Um, after we, you know, went through the process and had the autopsy and did all the tests and come to find out, I have a genetic condition that will be passed on to my children, my biological children and the likelihood of them surviving is like less than 6%. Um, I think the doctor was graciously put it. Um, you can get pregnant a hundred times and 99 of those will die. 99 of those babies will die. It's like, Oh, that's a great way to put it. Okay. So how long would it take me to, 
how many years would it take you to go through a hundred pregnancies? And, and I couldn't do that to myself. I mean, I, you know, I was ready to roll over and call it quits. Sure. And, and I didn't think that now granted, I didn't know any of this before we got married or before Madeline was even conceived. And, you know, it's not like I intentionally did anything. And also I felt like that was my cross to bear and not someone else's. Mm -hmm. And so I was in a very dark place and had a lot of guilt and a lot of grief, not only around Madeline dying, but the guilt of feeling like I killed her. Um, and, you know, I, I killed the life that we had planned on having together because of this. And it was a very dark place and a very slippery slope for a very long time. Um, and I felt like that was the fair thing to do. not because of anything that he said or anything he had he's a wonderful human being i just felt like i wasn't holding up my end of the bargain and if that's the case then the partnership needs to you know like if it's not working out then it's not working out um and so that's where my head was is i'm i'm not doing what i promised i would do so I want to give you this out while you're still young-ish and can do, you know, can have all the things that you want to have that I can't bring you. And as much as I am, you know, a feminist and believe that I can do anything you can do, you, I can do anything you can do better kind of thing. I got to the point where like women are supposed to, women are put on this earth to do one thing and I can't even do that one thing. And so what, what good am I kind of thing? And again, logically, I don't believe those things, but emotionally and mentally, I, I did, you know, biologically, I was like, I am biologically here to do one thing and I can't do it. Sure. I think it's really challenging to connect the intellect and the emotion together. And I think sometimes when there's such a separation between the two, asking for help is really a key ingredient to processing some of those separate thoughts and feelings. Um, what was your experience like deciding to ask for help? Who did you try to ask help for from first? What was that like for you? Honestly, I, I, I grew up in a society where you're, you're just crazy. You know, you're not depressed. You're not anxious. You're just crazy. And by asking for help, you are weak. And I, I preach from the rooftops. I see a therapist. I see, I have a coach. I have a mentor. I have a therapist. Like, I have all of the professions in my life. And also there was a stigma attached when I first started that I needed to get 
work through before I was like, you know, willing to come to terms with, look, everybody needs help. Like when you're sick, you go to the doctor, right? You have a cough. Mm -hmm. And so you go to the doctor Mm -hmm. and they're either like, suck it up. It's a cough or here's some medicine or right. Gargle salt water. You know, they give you help because that's their specialty. Right. Why don't you do that for your mental health too? Because we haven't normalized it in society. Yeah. And I think having this conversation is just another layer of trying to help people normalize it in their lives and say, it's okay. And, and it takes a lot of courage and bravery to say, I'm really struggling and I can't figure this out on my own. And I'm going to try to find somebody to help me. And it isn't always the first person you ask. Sometimes it takes two, three, you know, sometimes it takes trying and then stopping and trying and stopping. And sometimes you ask for help and you think you're in the mindset to process whatever is going on, but then you realize, oh, I'm, I'm really not. And you have to just shelve it and say, it's okay to just shelve it and then come back to it at another time. Really appreciate you starting that dialogue about how we need to start normalizing this. I think I finally got to the point where I felt like I was burdening my friends and family with my whining. And that, I'm, I'm sure that's the exact thought I had is I'm burdening my friend. I'm just whining here. I'm just complaining and I need to knock it off. And I was like, well, or I can pay someone and they have to let me whine. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Yes. And I felt no guilt there. I was like, I'm giving you money. I can talk about whatever I want, you know, and if you have something to add, do that. But I can sit here and talk to you about how I burnt my toast this morning for an hour. And I don't feel bad about it because I'm paying you. I, I'm not going to have any friends if I keep, keep going down this path. Cause I don't want to hear about it. I mean, you do. And you, as a friend, you want to be as supportive as you can, but there gets to be a point when it's like, we need to have the opportunity to talk about other things as well. Sure. And I wasn't feeling like I was getting there. Do you want to kind of touch upon working with a therapist versus working with a grief coach? Yeah. So I think I found so much benefit in both of them Yeah. to the point that I have become, I call it a grief mentor. I like that better. Or a grief Um, Sherpa, as you talk about in your book. (laughs) (laughs) Coach to me sounds like go run laps until you puke and then, Mm -hmm. you know, do it again kind of thing. Um, But it's all kind of the same idea. And yeah. I think a therapist is super important moving like in the initial stages, whenever that is, it doesn't have to be like day two, but whenever you're ready to start moving to trying to find your new happy again, Mm -hmm. that's when I started seeing a therapist and really kind of dug into my past and looked at, okay, why do I feel the way that I feel? And sit with those things, really explore, you know, my, my mental mindset and my past and kind of how it all builds on top of each other. And, you know, grief snowballs. It builds on top of, you know, just because 
okay, yesterday I stubbed my toe and today my dog died. Well, those are tied together kind of thing. And just because your dog died doesn't mean you're not grieving your stubbed toe anymore. Right. Um, and so I was with my therapist. I mean, I'm still with my therapist. Um, well, I take that back. I'm in transition right now. My the therapist that I loved and loved and loved retired. And so I am transitioning towards finding someone new. And it's a process. It is a process. It took me a while to find somebody that I really connected with and had, they all have different tools and way to apply those tools. And it's just finding that right therapist that kind of gets your story and can, can match it, like take their toolbox and start handing you tools and how to apply those tools. And, and it's okay. I think some people have that expectation. They're going to go one time and it's all going to be magically better. Oh my gosh. The first trip to the therapist office is just get to know you. It's introductions. Nothing really happens the first week. It's not until you get like weeks down the road and you're, I think sometimes getting worse before you get better. I don't know about you, but I felt like my grieving actually got worse when I started processing some of the stuff, especially unpackaging things in the past. Um, Losing our daughter was really hard in terms of like that mother daughter relationship that I wanted to have with her. Cause I felt like I had lost elements of that with my mother. And so I had hoped to kind of somehow recreate it with my daughter. And so like, just trying to unpackage that actually, I got sadder <laughs> in the process. And I don't think people talk about that either. We would, sometimes I would go by myself and sometimes Kyle would come with me and it would be like a couple session. I never, I thought it was, I always thought it was grief therapy as a couple. It wasn't like couples counseling. It's not like, okay, what do you, you know, why are you mad at him? Why is he mad at you? It was like, you are going through some tough poopy. Let's talk about where it's coming from. Um, And we always said, okay, let's go get poked with the stick. Like, and then we got in the car and we were off it. And yeah, it was, it's tough. It, it's like going to the gym, you know, like, yes, you hate going to the gym. Oh, I guess I'll speak for myself. I hate going to the gym. And 99% of the time I hate being at the gym. And I hate the next day because I'm sore from the gym, but day three and four, I'm glad that I went to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> And then I go and do it all over again. Um, You know, and therapy is a lot the same way. Like I never wanted to get in the car and go and being there, I was 99% of the time in tears and I would leave and have to go sit in the fetal position for a couple hours before I could function again. And yet the next day I was really glad I went. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you know, it gets worse before it gets better. And that's that, hard. <laughs> yeah. Doing hard things is what makes it better mm-hmm. or different. Yes. We are creatures of habit and doing things differently. That in itself doesn't feel good either. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So your work with a life coach, did you find that or grief coach or, or, grief guide, whatever we're going to call it. Did you find that that helped you set new habits or 
patterns or what did that, that experience do for you? It helped me to find things to look forward to and to set new goals. And sometimes those goals were, let's get out of bed and take a shower twice this week, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that, and sometimes I didn't even meet those goals, <laughs> but I kind of see therapy as kind of looking at the past and extrapolating mm-hmm. the past and bringing it to the present and coaching or mentoring or guiding, whatever we're going to call it is looking into the future and bringing that future to, to your present. And I think you need both. I also think you may not be in a position and ready for both immediately. Definitely. And also at some point through your journey, you, I felt like I stopped making a lot of progress by going from the past to the present. And so what kind of pushed me over that hump was getting a, a, a mentor or a guide or coach. And then I started making progress again. And have you worked with one coach or more than one? Um, it took me a little bit to find one I liked, just like my therapist, mm-hmm. you know, I, there's that no like and trust factor. There's um, just kind of how we talk to each other and where you are in your life journey and where I am in mine. And, um, you know, I just had to find somebody that I, I fit well with. Sure. It's like going on dates. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely not speed dating. It takes a long time. Yes. <laughs> Maybe they need that. Maybe they need speed dating for therapists. Like therapists Maybe. just come in and people that want therapy come in and yeah, you have five minutes with each person <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I don't like you. Let's yeah, go. We're not connecting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Oh, so, um, people who work with you one-on-one are, is there something that you really feel like? you specialize in, or you really enjoy a certain type of client? Um, so one thing that I really, I found a lot of solace in was all of the science around happiness and resiliency and joy. And, and I think sometimes we, we, experience spiritual bypassing or logical bypassing. And that basically means um, like spiritual bypassing is basically saying, don't think about anything else. Just use your faith and religion, you know, and everything happens for a reason. And you just have to trust the process where logical bypassing goes basically the exact opposite direction. Here's the science. It's only science. Let's look at this, you know, do these steps, one, two, three, A, B, C. And then, and I think it really needs to be both. I agree. And that doesn't necessarily mean a religion, but I also have faith that there is something greater than me out there. And, and honestly, I call that Madeline. I think Madeline is up there watching over me and kind of nudging me in the direction that I need to go. And that is my faith Mm -hmm. in a very, you know, um, and that, and that is faith. I have faith that something more powerful than I am is helping me on my journey. 
the universe, God, Buddha, all out, you know, whatever you want to call it. But I, I honestly, I needed both. I was not comforted by hearing that God would take care of me and doesn't give me more than I can handle. Because I kept thinking, why does he think I'm so strong? Why can't I be a weakling? If I would have been weaker, then I wouldn't have gotten this. So I need both. And I think that not everyone sees that both can be beneficial. And so I pull in, you know, I pull in the sciences and I, I have exercises that I like to do even myself now still. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I need to sit down and do this exercise. Time to do my homework. <laughs> well, and I mean, that brings up a really good point in that grieving is a lifelong journey. There's, there's no end to it. And I think you shift your relationship to it. You have tools to deal with it when you have a trigger or it pops up, you, you build strength to carry the weight of that grief. And I too, to this day, you know, it's been a little over five years and there are times where I revert back to some of my old tried and true tools to get through a difficult moment. And you never know when they're going to pop up. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 12 years into my journey of, well, that's, I say 12 years because Madeline died 12 years ago in May. And also for six years after that, I went through all of the grief and loss of the infertility process and wanting to bring her siblings. So somewhere between six and 12 years I've been in going through this grief. But yeah, I mean, you never, I like to say it doesn't get easier. You get stronger and everything happens. You find the reason. And only you can find it. And looking inward and not outward is the place to find it. And I feel like that there's so many, there's social media is great. And I've definitely had inspirations and felt positivity from social media posts and whatnot. But at the end of the day, the answer is inside of you and finding the stillness and the space to listen to that inner voice. I think that's where so much of the processing occurs. And it's hard to sit with someone, especially yourself in oftentimes silence there were, I mean, there's still a lot of times that I don't really like myself and to sit in a, in a room, to sit in a room with someone you don't like in silence for a while is really uncomfortable. Yes. And starting to get more comfortable with the discomfort. I think that's also key as well. And something that I really struggled with. Mm-hmm especially in this day and age, like everything is supposed to look perfect. Everything looks great around you all the time. And then for you to say, I'm not okay. And I don't want to fix my hair. And I don't want to take a shower. Like you were saying, like my goal for the week was to take a shower, like to be able to say that and just be okay with this is where I'm at without any judgment. I think it's really key. Yes, absolutely. Without you judging yourself, Mm -hmm. like, I don't care what you think of me. I mean, I, you know what I mean? You know what I mean by that? (laughs) Um, I think we got on a call a couple weeks ago and I was like, 
I can do this time, but I'm coming from the gym. So I'm going to look like I came from the gym. Luckily it's a zoom call, so you can't smell me, but you know, this is, this is what you get. If this is the time that works, I don't care. Do you care? Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> and, and, and there was a time in my life that, well, before zoom, but there was a time in my life that I needed, if I was going to leave the bedroom, I needed to look and act and be perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just girls in their teens and twenties. Um, but now I'm like, I got more to bring to the table than just if I have my lipstick on mm-hmm. and hopefully I can still bring those things to the table if I haven't showered in a couple days. Sure. And, and, and your perception of things, um, shifts, I think after you've lost a baby and you even talked in your book, um, also about, you know, if I can survive losing a baby, then from day to day stuff, you know, well, maybe this didn't go quite the way I wanted to, wanted it to today, but I, I, I'll get through it. Look, I've been through a whole lot worse. But the second that someone tried, tried to tell me that, you know, I'm going to beat them up. I become Hercules and start beating people up. But there was something very powerful in saying, look, I may, I, I lost a child and the ability to have children. I've survived a hundred percent of the days since then. I'm going to get through the fact that there's a car accident that I'm not involved with. I'm just stuck in the traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to get through the fact that I'm slightly inconvenienced because the plane didn't show up on time or, you know, those kind of things. It was, it was really powerful to be like, I made it through that. I'll make it through this. This is not a big deal. Yeah. So true. Anything else about your journey through this grieving that you really want to highlight for any other mom or dad going through it? It's a lifelong journey. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't get to finish grieving and put it in a box and put it in the closet Um, as much as we want to, as much we want to just, you know, okay, check this off the list and now we're done Mm -hmm. and can move on. Um, I am still... I'm still triggered from time to time. Oftentimes I am, I'm definitely more capable of understanding it and controlling it when I am triggered. And I'm, I'm better at forecasting when it will happen for the most part. There are still times that I'm just, you know, it just out of the blue and I'm bawling in the corner. Um, but it's been 12 years and I, you know, there are still holidays are still bittersweet and probably always will be bittersweet. Mm -hmm. Um, it got easier and more difficult once I had nephews, I have four nephews under the age of four and they're all super adorable and I love them to pieces and I love to ant the hell out of them. (laughs) And also 
when I get to spend time with them, I think of all the things that I don't get to do with Madeline or Madeline and, and Madeline's siblings. Sure. Um, and early on, that was a huge, like, that would be debilitating. I would have to leave the zip code and go, you know, have my space. Now it's like, yeah, kind of sucks. And I wish it were different. And if I had the ability to change it, I would. And also Madeline doesn't want me to not have a relationship with her cousins because I can't control myself. And a lot of things I do because I know that Madeline would, wouldn't want me not to. If that, I know that's a lot of double negatives and things, but. No, it makes sense. And I think that that's how our children live on in our lives, even if they are not physically here on earth. Yes. I say all the time, look, I'm still a mom. I try to make my daughter proud of me every single day. I try to do what's right by her. I just look up when I'm talking to my 12 year old instead of down. And if people think that's crazy, then let them think I'm crazy. It brings me some comfort to think that she wants me to be happy. She wants me to find joy. She wants to be proud of me. You know, anything any child would want for their parents. I just looks a little different. Mm -hmm. And that's you trusting that inner voice of what's right for you and your relationship with her and your relationship with Kyle and everybody around you and being able to turn off the noise around you and turn in. Mm -hmm. And that is just absolutely beautiful. And I really appreciate you sharing that. But there wasn't a, you know, the next day kind of thing. I wrestled with that for years. And, and that's the only way you get to that moment. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you could have told me, you know, 11 years ago, look, she wants you to be happy for, you know, she wants all of these things for you. And I would have been like, you, you know, you don't get a to few tell choice that. words. Yes. <laughs> yes. Artfully crafted four letter words. I'm sure. Yes. Um, there are just so many things that throughout the grieving process, you need to learn for yourself. And if someone tries to tell you it, it makes no difference and it probably hurts a little bit more than it helps. So I don't want anyone to think that, you know, day one, Maddie died day two. I'm looking inward. I got it all yeah, figured I'm out. Looking inward. I'm going to the gym. <laughs> I'm showering. No. I have a question for you. Did you return to the gym only because you wrote that essay? You talked about the essay, the um, essay writing contest, and you won free personal training at a gym. Was that your entry back into the gym or had you yep. been at going to the gym before that? Nope. In fact, to be perfectly honest, I didn't even really go to the gym before that. I submitted and won this contest and I got X number of free. And I was like, oh, well, I like free things. <laughs> so funny. I, you know, start going to the gym. 
it wasn't even like I went to the gym before Maddie was born or conceived. Like I went to the gym because my friend went to the gym and we were going to go get lunch afterwards or whatever, you know? So for people who haven't read Confessions of a Griever, I just want to like use that as an example of how you put these little stories in there that are light and funny and, you know, just break up the heaviness of the grieving. And also that just like grieving isn't linear, your book isn't linear. So it's like a pick a path for your grieving journey and you can skip around easily in that book. And I just, I I wish I had had that book about five years ago. (laughs) And so I've told quite a few people about it now. And I just think it's such a gift that you took the time to write it and share it. And um, I definitely want to just take a moment to highlight that. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. The book was Madeline's 10th birthday present from me. Um, And it was something I just felt called to do. And I was like, nobody's going to read this, but if I can write it and make it look official and even like submit it to the library of Congress, mm-hmm. then I've kind of done something big. And that, that seems good. Um, it was just as much, if not more of a healing journey for me than it is for anyone that reads it as well. Um, and it was tough. There were talk about getting into your emotions I wrote a lot of this book at a coffee sh- a local coffee shop because I tend to get more done when I'm not at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, so I was like, okay, I'll just go to the coffee shop and I'll get a cup of coffee and it, you know, and I can sit there all afternoon for a $3 cup of coffee. And there were on more than one occasion, I was sitting in the corner with my cup of coffee and my computer typing away, just bawling. <laughs> Just, just having a, a panic attack because I was reliving so many of the emotions even 10 years later. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I'm surprised I wasn't asked to leave and never come back. But hey, you've got the book to show for your work. Yes. And, and the journey that you went through to get to that point. Yeah. And I think my journey is uniquely mine and also so similar to everyone else that grieves journey. And I'm not sure that people realize that when they're in the depths of the really tough grief, they think their grief is, they think they're the only one that's ever been through it. Cause I know I did. I'm the only one that's ever lost a child. We know that one in four women will lose a pregnancy or infant. That's a lot of freaking ladies. That is a lot. That is a lot. And I felt completely alone. And I felt like this is the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone on the face of the planet ever. And no one understands. And I'm never gonna have friends again because I can't talk to anyone. I just kept digging myself into that hole. So I think the more that we're able to share our stories, the more we realize, yeah, my story is mine. And also, I say they're uniquely similar. There's so many things that are special to you. And also there are so many things that are similar to any other story about grief. Do you want to show your necklace? Of course. Yes, because (laughs) this is quite a labor of love here and a very beautiful 
um, tribute to Madeline. And I think a lot of other people might be interested in it. So if you wanted to just share a little bit about it, and then if somebody else was interested in purchasing one where they could find that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Sharing Solace started with the necklace. Um, and from the necklace came the book and the, the few other things that we offer. Um, but it really started with this concept of, I've, I've always been a pearl clutcher. If you remember that saying from grandma, you know, oh no, you know, I'm, I get bored. I play with my necklace. I'm upset. I play with my necklace. I, you know, I'm waiting in line for a soft drink. I'm playing with my necklace. Everything is I'm constantly clutching my pearls. And I found that as I was going through my grief journey, I was given some of the most beautiful things, you know, baby blankets and teddy bears and beautiful poems and, and figurines and all of these great things that at some point I needed to not see them every day because they no longer brought me comfort. They brought back the pain of losing what I had lost. Um, and so they're across the room for me in that closet door and they'll probably stay there until I die and someone will have to clean out that closet and They'll be like, well, here's some crap. Let's throw it away. Um, but to me, they're, they're priceless. And also, I can't look at them, as crazy as that sounds. Um, it doesn't sound crazy at all. So as I was putting these things into boxes and putting them in the closet, I was like, there has to be something better or different. These items were not given to me to be put in a closet. But I can't really pass them all. I, like, 90% of them were engraved or embroidered or, you know, somehow personalized. 99% of them were pink because Maddie was a girl, um, you know, so I couldn't really give them away because nobody wants a pink baby blanket that says Madeline on it. Um, but I sure as I surely wasn't going to throw them away or, you know, donate them because they're, they have, they mean something to my heart. Um, and so they sit in that closet and will <laughs> until the end of time. Um, and so that's where kind of the idea of sharing solace came from. And the idea is that you're given this necklace or a keychain, and you keep it near your heart and clutch your pearls for as long as you want. And it's supposed to bring you some comfort and something tangible about being able to like grab my necklace and be like, okay, we got this is very comforting to me. And then at some point it will kind of lose that superpower because that's what I found out from all the stuff that I have. And that's when you actually take out the middle token from your necklace or keychain and you put that token into a new locket and you pay that new locket forward on to somebody else, you know, mm -hmm. as they go along their own grief journey. Um, you keep the, your initial outer locket as a, if, as a reminder, you're always going to have a hole. You're always going to miss that person or that thing, but you're still a whole person. And you can have a hole and be whole. And then the backside of the tokens, the, the piece that you pass along, actually has a unique identifier on the back that allows you to register it on our website so you can follow it as it moves from person to person. 
So like, I know you, Amy, and I give it to you, but then you give it to Susie. I don't know Susie. But by following that on the website, I can see who you gave it to and who they gave it to and who they gave it to and feel more connected to others that have gone through similar things. And I can share my story. If I want, I can connect with these other people, whether they've had my, my exact piece or a different piece. Um, it's just a way, it's a visual way to see that you're not alone. And, and I use the word powerful a lot, but there's some power in that. Yes. Just being able to say, look, I, I, I can see that I'm not the only one that's ever gone through the worst day of my life. So that's where it started. It's beautiful. Thank you. It's absolutely beautiful. And if anybody were to want to purchase that is the best place to go is the sharingsolace.com website. Yes. yes. Yep. There's also, I just want to highlight a little boutique in there where you can get the book, the necklace, and then there's some other things, a mug, a little bracelet that you can move from one wrist to the other, um, a little ducky that you have to read the book to find out the story behind the go duck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it all revolves around support. Sometimes it's in a little bit of an obscure way. Yeah but I'm an obscure person and it makes perfect sense to me. Oh, you know, reading your book, it made perfect sense to me as well. So to find you, um, sharingsolace.com, Facebook and Instagram, sharing solace, any other ways to get in touch with you or things that you would like to highlight before we finish our conversation? You can find me just about anywhere you want to find me. Um, but I, I spend a lot of time on Instagram and Facebook because I like to look at pictures. <laughs> Again, I'm a very visual person. Um, but yeah, I, the website is probably the, the most inclusive and complete place to find me. Um, but I love Instagram too. <laughs> and working with you one-on-one, um, support can be accessed through that website as well as my understanding. Yes. Okay. Yep. It's all, it's all there. (laughs) One-stop shopping makes it easy. I do what I can. Easy is what you need when you're grieving because everything seems overwhelming when you're grieving. So your, your website is beautifully laid out and has much to offer. And I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story, your journey, Madeline's life with us. And thank you for everything that you are putting out into the world to help other women and families who have gone through this. It is truly a blessing. And I am so thankful for connecting with you. Thank you. Oh, you are so sweet. And I, I couldn't say it more eloquently. So I'm just going to say ditto. (laughs) Right back at you. That's an easy way to end this conversation. And I have a feeling that there'll be more conversations in the future between the two of us. I am so appreciative of Crystal's time and her ability to articulate in words what the past 12 years have been like for her and her husband. I want to pause and remember Madeline Elizabeth. Your precious life continues to live on through the work your mother is doing over at sharingsolace.com. 
May we all take a moment to honor you right now. If you found this podcast helpful, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, share it on your social media, or send it to somebody who's grieving today. If you would like my free ebook, A Guide After Pregnancy and Infant Loss, please sign up on the link below in the show notes and receive emails from me. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to the next episode to share with you.